Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back and ready to study the Bible. Uh, that's what we do each week is try to answer as many Bible questions as we can. When I say we, I mean my partner Toby Levering here and I, Steve Tandy, we try to get these things answered for you. And uh, we do that because we think it's the best way to study the Bible. Uh, for you to understand the Bible is let you tell us what you'd like to know. And we'll try to find answers for you. Some of them we have to do quite a bit of studying on, Toby, to, to yeah. dig out the answer. But uh, we try to find it in the Bible, and if we can't find it, we'll tell you that. But usually we can find a principle or something for you. So that's what the program is about. That's all we'll do for the next 30 minutes. So I invite you to use the phone number or the website on your screen. Tell us what you'd like to know, and we'll get to it as quickly as we can. Looks like I drew the first one today, Toby, so let me get started. Uh, oh, well, we got a trivia question. Yeah, don't I rush past the trivia. The, yeah. almost forgot the good one for the viewers. <laughs> uh, what day of creation did God create man? Uh, so if you know that one, we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. Uh, you're a little bit of trivia for the day. All right, now it's my turn. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Explain the graves being opened and saints rising from the dead in Matthew 27. Well, some of our viewers may not have heard of that, uh, so let's just read it, make sure we know what our viewers talking about. Let's go to Matthew 27, verses 52 and 53, and this is at Jesus' crucifixion. Lots of things happened that day, but this is one thing that happened. Uh, the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection... They went into the holy city and appeared to many. All right, so that's pretty clear. Uh, when Jesus died, one thing that happened was the tombs opened. Some bodies of dead Christian, uh, dead saints, uh, weren't any Christians yet, but maybe Christ followers, but we don't know if they were who they were. Uh, they came out of the bodies, raised back to life, and walked into the city and appeared to people that obviously some of them knew them. Uh, so our viewer says, explain that. Well, I wish I could, but that's all I know. Uh, what that verse says is the only thing we know about it. Uh, we know that on that day, lots of miraculous things happened. Uh, God caused an earthquake, split rocks open. Uh, there was darkness. The sun went out for a while. Uh, the veil in the temple was torn. Uh, lots of miraculous things happened as proof that this was a cosmic event. This was a major league uh, victory of goodness over darkness. Uh, God was doing uh, the greatest thing in history this day. And he showed that by lots of miracles. And one thing was some dead people came back to life. Uh, we don't know anything else about it. We don't know what happened to them. Uh, I personally believe that their bodies were probably taken to be with the Lord that day. 
their spirits were already with the Lord since they were his saints, but the bodies were maybe taken up to be with the Lord that day. Uh, we're not told they went back into the tombs or anything, so that's what I'm guessing, but uh, don't know. So I, it's one question I can't answer. I can't explain <laughs> it any better than what God told us, so hope hope that's... No, that's the best we can do. <laughs> yep, I would say that that's the best explanation we can do, what God gives us. Uh, the next question is uh, from a viewer. They ask, is the Sabbath day the day we should worship? Uh, no, the Sabbath day is not the day we should worship. Now, some people uh, uh, just misname it. Uh, they they call, the, they'll say, uh, you know, we need to keep the Sabbath and honor the Sabbath, and they're referring to Sunday. And they're just mistakenly identifying the Sabbath, the Sabbath uh, in the old law was the seventh day of the week. It was part of the uh, uh, law that the Israelites were to observe. And it was only for the Israelite people. Uh, in Exodus chapter 31, verse 16, the law there says the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It was... Uh, part of the covenant between them and God. It was uh, a holy day, and it, there was to be no work done, and it was just to, to understand and to be reminded of God's holiness and, and to cease from all activity for the purpose of focusing on that. And that's a wonderful thing, a good thing, uh, and certainly something that they were required to do. The question is, should we? Is that the day we worship? No. Jesus changed that. Jesus nailed the old law to the cross. Uh, he didn't abolish it. He fulfilled all of its demands. And one of those demands uh, is the demand that we uh, to observe the Sabbath. <clears throat> so he fulfilled that. That command was not repeated under the new covenant. And as far as we can tell from every command and every example we see from Scripture, the Christians began to meet and to worship on the first day of the week, uh, Resurrection Day, the, the Lord's Day, the day that Jesus came out of the tomb. And that uh, from the beginning of the church all, all throughout. And, and so that's why we celebrate on the first day of the week because Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. Uh, you can uh, refer to Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Uh, to, to see one example of when Christians met, and uh, uh, there are other scriptures as well. Uh, I'll give you one on the screen uh, that I referred to just a moment ago from Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 <clears throat> and following. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Now, you and I understand sins in terms of wrong behavior, but God spelled out what sin was under the old law. And, and the, the, the conclusion we draw from the old law is this. We all owe a legal debt. And he says this, Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Now, there are people today that believe we should only worship on the seventh day. Uh, they take the command from the Old Covenant and apply it all the way across without any discernment and understanding of the difference between the Old Covenant and the New. 
it is possible, I suppose, for one to say, well, I would like to be declared righteous not uh, by faith in Christ Jesus, but by trying to keep the law perfectly. And you can try if you wish. I don't think the success rate has been very good so far. Uh, th that's why we need a Savior. So uh, this was a controversy to some degree today. It certainly was back in the first century when Jews who had been used to keeping the Sabbath, <clears throat> worshiping on that day, were now worshiping on, on the first day, on Sunday, instead of uh, the seventh day, Saturday. And that obviously would have been a complete upset in what they were trained in and how they were uh, raised and uh, culture and all of that. And um, the Apostle Paul says, says to the, the church here at Colossae, um, don't let anyone judge you with regard to that. I don't think he's saying it's necessarily wrong to keep it, but if, if you think that's a, if you, something you want to do, but don't let anyone judge you. It's not a requirement any longer. So the scriptures are clear. We do not have to keep the Sabbath, and it's not the day we worship on. hope that's helpful. All righty. got a question about child rearing here. Viewer says, if you make your child go to church, will he quit going when he leaves home? And I think the best answer to that is possibly. Uh, might happen. Uh, but let me ask you another question. Or let me ask you a question in return. Uh, do you make your child do anything? And if you say, no, I don't make my child do anything, then I really don't want to meet your child. Uh, I don't want to be around him because he's probably a terror. Uh, we do make our children do certain things. Uh, we make them brush their teeth because they're not wise enough to know that brushing teeth is good for you. Uh, we make them go to school. We make them eat their vegetables. We do a lot of things that they don't understand yet, uh, so we make them do it. And hopefully then we raise them and they choose to do the right things. But at some point, children uh, become to the age when they have free will. Uh, they get to choose. And this viewer says when they leave home, well, that's when they start to get choosing for sure. And they may choose not to go to church anymore. Uh, they may choose not to brush their teeth. They may choose never to read another book. Uh, all sorts of things could happen. Uh, to me, it's not a matter of making them because we make children do things because we need to. Uh, the number one determinant, probably, is whether they've learned that this is good for them or not. Uh, and on church, they evaluate that by seeing what it means to you. Uh, let me propose two scenarios. If you make your child go to church, but what they hear as you're getting ready for church is, oh, yuck, we got to go to church today. It's time. we got to get ready. Come on, hurry up. And then on the way home, they hear you talking about how bad the sermon was and how much you don't like that preacher and how you didn't like this song and that song and how sister so-and-so got on your nerves. And if all they hear is negative, they're going to learn, even though you make them go, that it's really not any good for them. On the other hand, if they see you uh, happy about going to church, uh, they see you positive about what happened at church, they see you serving other people as part of your church, uh, they may figure out that, hey, this is good for me. So I don't think it's a matter of making them go. We make kids do all sorts of things. 
It's how do you live your life. That's what kids are going to make their evaluation from. Uh, and remember, if they get free will, even if you do the best job possible, uh, they can still choose to do wrong. So uh, I think it's a good thing to make your child go to church. I think it's a good thing to make them behave while they're at church and go to class and learn some things. Uh, lots of it's good for them, but they'll judge by your actions uh, whether it's good for them lifelong, probably. All right, let me take just a moment to uh, talk about a good way to study the Bible. We advocate study beyond this 30 minutes. We enjoy answering questions for you, and hopefully you'll learn a little bit of something. But uh, the Bible's got a whole lot more than what we can answer in 30 minutes or 30 years. So uh, we advocate getting your Bible and working your way through it, seeing what God has to say to you. And we know that's hard for some people. It's hard to get started in Bible study, or hard to form that habit. Uh, so we've got some help, some tools that we think are great ways to help. And we've proven over the years that a lot of people get a lot of good out of these. Here's the first course that we'll send you. And it's just a good basic introduction to the Bible. And then we've got some other advanced courses that uh, you can take after you get through that first one. And uh, one of them there is the, the Gospel of John. It's about Jesus and all about his life. And so there's some detailed courses. And when you're done with all of these courses, and hopefully we'll have some more coming up in the future here, uh, you know a lot more about the Bible. And all you've got to do to get those is use the phone number, the website on the screen, Tell us you'd like that free course, and then we'll get you started. We'll send you the first one. See if you like it. If you don't, we won't bother you in any way. Never be put on a mailing list. Never ask for money. Uh, we just want you to study the Bible, and we think it's a good way to do it. So let us know you want it. All right, tattoos again. Yes, if you would like to know about <laughs> tattoos and piercing, what does the Bible say about tattoos and piercings? Well, uh, there are some verses that speak to the practice of tattooing. Um, uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28 says, Do not cut your bodies uh, for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. And some people read that verse and they say, Okay, well, I need to not have tattoos. And clearly anyone who has tattoos is, is sinful and going to hell. Well, okay, I, I don't think that's the right conclusion um, because they uh, fail to understand fully the context of the Scripture. Uh, w when we talk about context in this program, we mean to pay attention to the Scriptures around it, understand to whom it was being written, and the uh, covenant under which it was written. Uh, if you're going to apply Exodus, or Leviticus 19.28 uh, in regard to tattoos, uh, you are equally bound to apply Leviticus 19, verse 27. And that verse says, Do not cut the hair at the sides of your beard, uh, at the sides of your head, or clip the edges of your beard. Okay? So, it, right there with equal weight is someone who trims their beard or, or uh, uh, trims their sideburns. And I, I never hear people up in arms about that. So, it, it's possible that we pick and choose scriptures that we want to be true and then we apply them uh, unequally and that's not how to read or apply the Bible. Leviticus is written under the old law to the Jewish people 
It was the commands uh, concerning their relationship with God under the, an old system. And there were lots of things that they had to do that we don't have to do today. There were lots of rules and regulations that simply aren't enforced today. Uh, tattoos specifically and cutting for the dead were forms of idol worship. They were a p- part of uh, worshiping foreign gods. They were specifically a huge part of a- Egyptian idolatry. Uh, and they had left that behind. God wanted them to continue to leave that behind. So there's a reason for this commandment that doesn't apply today. Uh, <clears throat> piercings, there's not much about the, the subject of piercing. I guess probably the one I found was Exodus 21, which talks about the tradition of if you had a servant and they that servant wanted to remain your servant for life, you could take them to your doorpost and pierce their ear uh, to symbolize that you were there, that that person was to be your servant forever for life. Uh, it's a beautiful symbolic picture of our relationship to God. Uh, but, but again, this is not something we apply broadly across the board today. So those two scriptures and, and my explanation of them is my way of saying uh, what the Bible says about tattoos and piercings does not specifically apply to us today. It was something for the Israelites under the old covenant, uh, under the old law. So the question is, since we do not live under that covenant today, since we have freedom in Christ, uh, are tattoos and piercings uh, beneficial, constructive, or wise? And that requires a little more discernment. Uh, Under the new covenant, which we look at, uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Verses 23 through 24. Paul said, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial, Paul says. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. We know that the scripture tells us uh, when the prophet was looking for a king, uh, he didn't at first see David as a king. And he said, the man looks at the outward appearance. It's the Lord that looks at the heart. So whether we like it or not, our outward appearance is judged immediately by other people, uh, believers or non-believers. What we look like on the outside sends a message whether we intend to or not. Um, so a Christian especially must give great consideration, uh, not because... Uh, uh, God views them any differently, but in being an ambassador for Christ, they should consider the message that they send by their outward appearance. And that's a, that's important. That's not a legalistic thing. It's just a common sense thing. Uh, if you went to apply for a job, uh, you want to show that potential employer uh, that you are serious about the job and you want it. Uh, how would you do that? Well, you might put on a, a, a nice dress or blouse and uh, suit, suit and tie, uh, to show that you respect uh, the person that you're interviewing with and the job that you're applying for. Okay, that's Im- important to do. Uh, many years ago, I had a speeding ticket, and I, I went to before the judge, and I was in a full suit. No one else in the courtroom uh, was even close to that. In fact, I was even asked if I was a lawyer. <laughs> when I went before the judge, he said, I want to commend you for showing great respect for the court by the way you've dressed. Uh, that's a respectable thing to do. He noticed that, okay? Why? Because man looks at the outward appearance. That's the best advice I can give you on tattoos and pierce, piercings is to be considerate of your outward appearance and your ambassadorship for Christ. Hope that's helpful.
All right. How do you explain the theory of evolution as compared to the story of Adam and Eve? Well, uh, I don't explain the theory of evolution as compared to the story of Adam and Eve. They're two, uh, and bear with me here, but they're both two theories about how mankind came to be. And when I say there are two theories, I'm sure some of you old-time Bible believers say, whoa, that's heresy. Uh, no, nobody witnessed it, so we don't have a scientific account of how man came to be. Uh, we believe as Christians that the Bible is God's revealed word for us, and we believe he told us the truth. Uh, but we can't prove it in a scientific way. But evolution is even more of a theory and science can't prove it either. Now I know science teachers teach it but that's because most of them have to. Uh, it's a theory and when I say evolution I know we're talking about the uh, theory of uh, uh, the origin of the species uh, that Darwin proposed. This is how everything got here is through natural selection and uh, evolution and survival of the fittest and all that. Uh, that theory is just a theory. <clears throat> nobody witnessed it, so nobody can prove it. Science has nothing to do with it. Uh, science is the study of things that are observable, and nobody observed how the world and mankind came into existence. Uh, so it's a theory. It's a seriously flawed theory. Now, let me go back a little bit. Viewer asked, how do I explain one against the other? I've studied both of them, and I think God's story is more believable. I think it's more plausible, uh, and I believe it. The theory of evolution, I've studied it. It's seriously flawed. Uh, it's not supported by the facts, the fossil record. Uh, we don't find any species in between species. Uh, it's very clearly defined just the way Genesis says God created uh, species after their kind. They reproduced. There's no development in between. I mean, we see pictures in the eighth grade science book, uh, you know, the frog crawling out of the water and becoming this and becoming a lizard and all that. Well, we don't find any of those intermediate creatures. They're just not there. So it's not supported by the fossil record. And it, theory of evolution doesn't explain the complexities of, or even the simple things of life. You can't explain how things happen. Darwin himself said, uh, the human eye, he said, kind of really messes my theory up. Uh, there's no way the theory of organic evolution can explain how a human eye came into existence. You just can't do it. And I would contend that you can go a lot lower than that. Uh, the theory of evolution can't explain how anything came into existence. A uh, simple example is a rattlesnake. Uh, to may be a rattlesnake, he needs poison. He needs some sacks to store that poison in, and he needs some hollow fangs to deliver the poison. Which one of those mutations happened first, and how many thousand years did it exist with no use until the poison or the poison sacks came along to use the hollow fangs. So, I mean, you just go around in circles, so that couldn't have happened. 
the system could not have developed in one mutation. Not possible. So uh, how do I explain it? I don't explain it. I've studied them both. I believe God's explanation is a lot more plausible. You look at the complexity of the world. How did a rattlesnake or a human eye come to be? God created it that way. Take just a moment and invite you to visit a church of Christ near you. We try to do this each week. Some of our uh, folks that support this program and help keep us on the air. And today, let me mention a couple close to Wichita, uh, the Derby Congregation and the Wellington Church of Christ. Uh, both of them have been a long-time supporters of Know Your Bible, and we appreciate them. And uh, invite you to drop in and visit them sometime. You'd find a group of people that study and think about the Bible a lot like we do, and you'd be warmly welcomed. Uh, whatever area you live in, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. Drop in and visit them. If you know somebody at the Derby Church or Wellington, uh, tell them, hey, I heard about you on Know Your Bible. Appreciate you supporting that program. So we appreciate them. Viewer would like and specifically request a chronological list of the books of the Bible. I started to make that list. I thought that would be a little bit complicated because there are some uh, there are some that we know that we have a pretty precise idea of when those books were written and some we have less precise of an idea the exact timing of it and so there are some that may have been written at similar times and others we're a little bit unsure of uh, one of the best it's not a list but one of the best recommendations I can give you is called the Daily Bible by F. Lagarde Smith and it is an arrangement, especially if you are uh, new to the Bible, uh, where it's put in chronological order. And so a lot of the stuff the Bible it repeats is put all together. It's just arranged differently in a way in, in a pretty close to chronological order. And you can read through that one day at a time over the course of a year. I'd recommend that to you. If you like a chronological order, I think it'll be helpful and useful in your study. Yep. The other thing is some of the books go over overlap yeah. each yeah. other yes. so to right. say this yeah, that's book what I was, was to written say, yeah. before the other one yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, but yeah. Uh, Smith does a good job does, of really sorting does. all that out mm -hmm. so you can read through and have it pretty chronological mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, all right let's do this one quick what verse tells about three ways we can be tempted uh, and we may have mentioned that on this program and somebody didn't catch the verse very quickly it's first John chapter 2 verses 16 and 17 uh, John said, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so I, I always teach that verse that he's saying this is all that's in the world. This is the only temptations there are. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And if you think about it and try to think of every temptation you can imagine, uh, you can pretty well fit it into one of those three categories, and uh, they all fit. Those are the ways Satan tempts us. Uh, that's the way he tempted Adam and Eve, used those three things. That's the way he tempted Jesus in the desert, used those three things. We don't have time to go through that in detail, but <coughs> excuse me, those are the three ways Satan tempts us. So, 1 John 2, 16 and 17. Make sure we get our trivia question answered today. We almost forgot to ask it, but let's get it answered here. On what day of creation did God create man? Well, uh, Genesis chapter 1 says it was the sixth day that he made man, and then on the seventh day, of course, he rested. So uh, that's that one, and we'll be back next week to try to answer some more of your questions. 
I hope you learned a few things today. We learned a few things just, just answering them, and we appreciate your good questions. But come back next week, and we'll answer some more of them for you. Glad you've been with us today, and until we see you next week, hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.